Petersfield's Shine Radio. Growing Together with Anne-Marie Powell and Claire Dennis. Hello and thanks for joining us in Growing Together. I'm Claire Venice and I'm with Anne-Marie Pyle. Hi Anne-Marie. Hello, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And I'm just so happy to be back in your garden again. <laughs> <laughs> Changed in a month, it's remarkable. Yeah, Mother Nature really gets her groove on there, doesn't she? And actually, about time, she's had it tough this year. So tough. It's been a strange month, hasn't it? April's been a really odd month this year, compared well, to last year particularly. Yeah, well, we've had no April showers at Mm-mm. all. I know, where have they gone? <laughs> like, none. I mean, yeah. we've had no rain now for about eight or nine weeks at all. No significant rain. You know, just a little drop here and there. But mm. actually, I can't even remember a little drop, so it must have happened at night. But we have had some, and it's it's playing havoc in so many ways. But in our gardens particularly, it means that we're making sure that we've got water out for the birds. We're making sure that you know, I'm watering my pots every single day and have been for quite some weeks. But if that's been tricky... It's been so cold and Mm. frosty. So the borders, for example, I've been watering the front garden and the rear garden on opposite days. So one day it's front, one day it's the rear. And actually, it's been hard work. (laughs) Well, I haven't watered in April ever before. No. I've never had to do this. No. And all of our tulips are much shorter as a result. And I think people are probably thinking, what is wrong with my tulips? Because I love tulips. They're such a glorious display. And I like to go for fiery colours. So it really heats up the start of the growing season. But tulips, they need a period of cold. Now, we've certainly had that, haven't we, this year? We've had snow a few times, actually. But we haven't had any water. And they need water about three weeks before they flower. So actually, if you weren't watering hard four weeks ago, which you couldn't because we either had snow or really heavy ground frost, then there was no chance. So a lot of tulips are like really stumpy little short ones this year, which is a shame. It is a shame because after the daffodils, you know, that lovely yellow of the daffodils, comes the pop of colour of the tulips. And you have got a pop of colour here in your garden. They're lovely. But I know what you mean. They're not as tall as they should be. And the ground is so dry. I've got a doll's minuet just there. Do you see that one down there? It's really pink and it has green sepals and um, a really vibrant, rich pink. And and that should be growing to 50 centimetres. And it's about 25 centimetres tall. It's the same with things like my havrans. You know, also my ballerinas have sort of reached a height. Princess Irene is a little bit shorter, but nothing like it should be. And of course... The tulips are usually surrounded by lots of emerging herbaceous perennials. Well, none of that really either. Very odd. (laughs) Really, really odd. It makes me worry. It really does. But what has been brilliant this year is the daffs. I mean, my goodness me, I'm really going for it next year with even more daffodils because I've just got it so engrossed with all the different varieties. And, And there's some gorgeous names like cheerfulness. And I've started writing my list for for October and November planting with the tulips. And the scent of them has been incredible. You know, from the teeny tiny ones like Minuet and Minnow, going up to kind of tete-a-tete, and then going up to some really big ones. And, and I've seen a Pippet is the one that I want to be growing next year. I haven't heard of that. Oh, What's it's that a one? really tall one. And it's kind of a very pale yellow. 
and the central kind of section, they all change and they sort of change in a marbled effect, which sounds revolting, <laughs> but it's quite classy and it just kind of, it's like myriadly, chameleon-y changing its tones, but never to a kind of really bright kind of forsythe yellow. It's really classy, it's Pipit, P-I-P-I-T. Okay. So yeah, so that's my hot tip. But the scent, I've been gathering them in armfuls. I need more of them. Can you smell them from there? You, I'm hoping you can. They maybe. are lovely. And they're mixed with muscari. Now, I've yeah. got muscari as well at home. It pops up all over the place. and actually has self-seeded as well. And it's been gorgeous. So the blues have really been, and the yellows, have been lovely this year. Yeah, and I think that is part of the cold, actually. I, I wouldn't say they've loved the weather, but it's the same with things like amelanchia and also our blossom flowers is because the cold is here, the, the flowers are persisting for longer in actual fact because usually they're kind of taken out by rain, for example, or for kind of hotter weather, which we would expect, you know, at this time of year. But that sort of icy chill, or that it's not been good for us all getting out into the garden, has been really good if you do to enjoy some of those flowers that have actually lasted for longer than they usually would. I've got to tell you my favourite bulb though this year, and I bought it because I thought the name was funny, and it's an anemone. Anemone is the decaying group, and it's called Mr Fokker. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a hundred of them. <laughs> well. They're tiny corms though, so they're not like big tulip bulbs. They're really tiny, no bigger than my thumbnail, just a little bit bigger than my thumbnail. They look like really hard, wrinkled old prunes. Mm. They're rock hard and you think, that's going to do nothing at all. But I planted them in pots. I've planted them in my mini meadow down there. Planted a few all over the place in the garden. Oh my word, they have flowered incessantly and the more you cut the more they flower and I, I'm not joking or exaggerating I've had Mr Fockers in flare for between six to eight weeks and they're still coming. I didn't realise anemones could last that long. Me either. Mm. I mean the whites I have anemone the bride out the front which is also pretty but it's a bit more sedate but I think Mr Fokker he's obviously a tough nut isn't he? He wants to go for it. He's not he's loud and proud. You know, he's got a funny name. <laughs> and I just love how, like the tulips, they open and close during the day because when your tulips are open, it's a completely different effect. They look like completely different plants. And then when they open up, they're just much more serene. But they're really embracing the little sun and the, the lower warmth levels that we've had, but not the lack of water. And I don't want to scare anybody. And, and I know that bulbs are an investment, but... I think um, there might be a shortage of bulbs this year. I, it's something that I'm concerned about. Really? Because it's not the time of year when you usually think about what bulbs you're going to plant. That's no. an autumn you know, thing to think about, isn't yeah. it? So absolutely. That's it concerning. Is. Yeah, but it's, it, there are shortages of plants just all over the sort of planting spectrum because nurseries, they haven't been able to propagate in the last year. So because of social distancing and the like, and all of the problems of deliveries and getting things to people and not being sure about stock levels and how things would go and then being surprised by this huge uplift and surge in gardening, it is going to be a struggle to actually get the quantity of bulbs that the market actually wants due to them not having as many bulbs as they had last year to send out. And then we've got Brexit, of course, as well. And most of our bulbs come in from Europe, almost all of them, I'd suggest, and be that 
dahlias, tulips, Mr. Fokker, oh, no. dabs, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, you might want to choose something else. There's some gorgeous aricimums that you could use instead. But for your dafts and tulips and all those other spring beauties, I'm going to start thinking about placing an order soon so I get the stock that I want. And bulb suppliers, people like Peter Neeson, who I use almost exclusively, they've already got their doors open. So that tells you something. You can already place your autumn orders online now. Wow. Goodness me, though. So you reckon that possibly by the autumn there will be a lack of bulbs available to order? I think there'll be a shortage, shortage. not necessarily yeah. a lack. And you will be able to get tulips and daffs, but you might not be able to get the exact ones. If you've fallen in love with, for example, me with Narcissus pipit, I might not be able to get hold of the exact varieties that I want. And, and I'm only half done with my tulip border. You know, I've only really been hard gardening back here again since COVID because of building work and things. So since the 23rd of March, really. I need to increase my stocks and tulips. They don't always come back. I'm, I'm desperate to make sure that <laughs> next spring I've got even more, you know? Oh, a slight panic then because this is the time of year where we're planting seeds and there's, there's so much else going on in the garden. So to think about bulbs, yeah, that's really yeah, and that's I, shocking. Yeah, and I'm planting my gladioli. I've got some gladioli bulbs that have arrived, so I've got to plant those. And then generally looking after the bulbs that are coming in the summer. I've got tons of lilies coming up all over the place, so planted lots of those last year. So I'm on a lily beetle hunt. Oh my goodness, yeah, of course. Oh, they yeah. were having an absolute orgy on a fritillaria <laughs> over there and then I saw them on, on a lily and there's this fantastic product. It's called Grazers. I think I might have told you about it before. And it kills nothing, but it forms this kind of invisibility cloak over the bulb and it makes the plant unpalatable for the lily beetles. They do it for lots of things, cabbage, white butterflies, pigeons, slugs. They've got a whole range of things. So you buy the original bottle and then they have a refill that you can buy. Can you hear the, can you hear the blackbirds? They're lovely. Yeah. They have a refill bottle and, and, and that will last you for ages. It's just three capfuls to a full bottle of water. So it's really, really good stuff. Grazers. Okay, that is a good tip. Because honestly, I had seven or eight on my Fritillaria Imperialis and then I must have had ten or so on a lily. Already. You can't just sit back, can you, really, and relax? <laughs> yeah, but it's good, though, because it's National Gardening Week this well, week. Well, I was going to say, yeah, this week, so April the 26th till May the 2nd. We're recording this at the end of April. So... We're just in the middle of it, actually, aren't we? Yeah. And I love the fact that the Royal Horticultural Society, and it is their initiative, actually try and get the nation going to just say it's really brilliant, you know, inspire people to the magic that we all feel when we garden. And, and actually, what I'm very excited about is this week they've actually released a report which actually scientifically proves that gardening is good for your mental health and your, and your well-being status. It really is. So that's wonderful. They've done it with the University of Sheffield and the University of Virginia as well. So over the pond. And they've proven that if you garden more than three times a month and preferably three times a week, it will improve your mental health well-being by 4.2% compared to those people that don't garden. It's a lot, actually. A lot. Yeah, that it is It really lot. is. More than three times a month is all you need to be doing to be getting your mental health kind of feeling better than if you didn't. 
And it doesn't have to be vigorous exercise, does it really? It's just the matter no. of coming out. And, but that's and also a really good point because gardening has also been proven in the same report. I can't remember the exact stats, but it is just as, as invigorating and good for you as cycling or walking if you do it enough. And of course, it, they're calling it get your dose of vitamin G, vitamin green, huh. or I kind of think of it as vitamin gardening. Yes, well, that's what I thought it stood for. It's actually. not, it stands yes. for vitamin oh, okay. green. But um, you can't overdose on gardening, can you? No. So, <laughs> which is a good thing, actually, yeah. because I think I'd have overdosed and be flat on my back years ago, quite honestly. I can't stop. It's, it is an obsession. It's addictive. It's addictive, but in a good way, right? Isn't it great? <laughs> yeah, it is. And there are far more, there are hundreds, thousands of people who have taken up gardening in the last year. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's a bit like bringing steel to Sheffield, isn't it? Saying that gardening makes you feel good. And hasn't gardening made us all feel better over the last year through this pandemic? It has. And it's brought us together as well, actually, in the most unusual and strange ways. I just hope that this weather that we're having now doesn't put people off because it does make it a bit harder. I mean, sitting here in your garden, I can see you've got all your seed trays out and your seedlings in. And, you know, there's a lot there, but you've got to be careful because of the frosts that we've been having. You keep them covered or take them back inside and then bring them back out again in the, you know, during the day so they can harden off. And that's hard work. You've got to be on top of that. Yeah, it is hard work. But for me, I do think about it as being my daily exercise. I work full time, as you know, and, and I've actually, can't say I've enjoyed it, <laughs> but I can see the benefit in it, you know. Just the lugging of seed trays in and out and all the dahlias, of course. And I've already planted my cabaya. They've been out for a week and my sweet peas have been out for weeks. I was going to ask because I was Absolutely worried about your sweet fine. peas. Did Absolutely you cover fine. them at all? Fleece them a few times yeah. and then I, I, I'm a bit naughty. I like to push it a bit. So, so I left them out to minus one, perfectly fine. Minus two, perfectly fine. Minus three, perfectly fine that's interesting so and i do wonder they you know they've been outside grown hard since the day after boxing day when i sowed them if they've just become acclimatized well it's interesting you to say that because a couple of years ago i always grow sweet peas and obviously leave them on the plants until they've, they've dried out and then i collect the, the seed pods and collect the seeds and i grow those again the following year and there was some obviously i missed and they self-seeded in the garden and i didn't obviously realize this until in the spring i popped some sweet pea seedlings and i couldn't believe it i thought i didn't I realised I didn't think that they were going to be odd butts. You know, there was a few there. When I saw them popping up, I thought, well, that is definitely a sweet pea growing there, and I'll leave it. And it was absolutely fine throughout the whole winter. And I, I can't remember if it was a particularly cold, cold winter. It was a few years ago, so maybe not as cold as we have had this year, but it did survive. It did well, survive. they are hardy annuals. That is what they are. And so all the hardy annuals, I've got a load around the corner, they are able to accommodate or put up with a frost now and again so long as it's not a really hard frost but we've had frost and frost and yeah. frost and snow and everything this year so it just goes to show that sometimes your plants are more resilient than you think they are well i'm pleased your sweet peas have made it through and i'm really <laughs> pleased so my cobaya have i'm looking at them now i can see them starting to cover up my fence that's my next job for this this autumn is to actually get some more climbers up that back area fence because it's bothered me immensely over this this coming year but you can see that i've got plenty of clematis coming up well i was going to ask you about clematis i love clematis mm. 
I have a Montana that comes out, two of them, in different parts of the garden, but they complement each other. One I had to cut back because the trellis had collapsed. And they get quite rampant. It was crazy. You can create a really lovely tapestry with them and there is a clematis for any given position. Any colour, pretty much. And if you like big flowers, there's one for you, small ones. There are winter flowering, there are evergreen clematis. Oh, they are an immense and beautiful group of plants. And I love it when they climb up. They've been climbing up um, a bay tree that I've got in my back garden and then they just dangle down and it's stunning. I love that slight chaos. I love it too. And I think, um, I think you know, when people say make sure that you, your plant doesn't grow too big, sometimes I think it's quite satisfying to break the rules. Like I was saying, you know. And in Montana, it does get really big, but... That can be glorious and a spectacle, can't it? I yeah. absolutely love Are them. Are they pinks or whites? Yeah, they're the pinks. So they're very, very pale pinks with yeah. a yellow middle. Yeah, how gorgeous. Oh, they're they're gorgeous. lovely sort of um, really strong stamens and right in, in the it. centre. And they start off with these lovely sort of teardrops mm. the, before the flower actually comes out. And they're just doing that now. The flowers mm. haven't, actually haven't started to come out just yet, but it won't be long. No, it won't be long at mm. all, hopefully. But probably a bit later than usual, yeah. I would think. I try to grow some Clematis tangutica, which is, which is a lovely thing from seed. Abject failure. <laughs> oh, that must be hard to grow from seed. I thought I'd give it that. a pop. Yeah. So, but <laughs> I wouldn't go. recommend it. Didn't Did it work. germinate? Did you so manage to get it? They germinated, but only really in a very weak way, oh. I'd suggest. I think if it had been different and they had more persistent light levels, then maybe they'd have gone for it. I might try some more next year, but it's not the easiest way to get more clematises. I mean, no. the best way to get clematises is to layer them. You know about that? No, tell me about so, that. So clematises, and, and they are sort of a little bit of a law unto themselves with the pruning groups and all of those sorts of things. And there are three pruning groups. They all have very specific pruning requirements. However, saying that, group one and group two are quite similar. And group three, very different. And there's hundreds of different types of clematis in every single group. So you need to know. Should I tell you about how you prune them? Yeah, sure. So because if, like your clematis montana, the rule of thumb really, if you're not sure about your pruning group, is if it flowers before June, then don't prune it. That said, you can prune it a bit because you were saying earlier about your clematis just kind of growing up and just often flowering at the top. Mm. And sometimes with the groups one or two, those ones that flower before June, is just to sort of cut them into position and then maybe every three or four years just cut them right down to the ground. Oh, really? Yeah, That's because, harsh. because okay. otherwise what happens is if you don't train them horizontally as close as you can and untangle them as they go their merry way, mm. merry wayward way, actually. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, and then they attach themselves wherever they like by their leaf petioles. So they kind of anchor themselves by throwing mm. their leaf petioles, the stems of the leaves, over whatever the sport is, be it your bay tree or wires or a rose or whatever. And that's how they hold on. They kind of hang mm. themselves up and launch up again. They never go in the direction that you want them to no. go. <laughs> and they do get into a snaggly snarl. So I do think, and I've done it with one of mine, the present actually, I've just cut it a foot from the ground. And I know I'll probably lose some flares, is what the books tell me this year, but I bet you I get a few. But then I can train it again, try and get it horizontal. All climbers growing horizontal will produce more flower always. And I'll be fine with that. Anything that flowers after June, you can prune that after it's flowered and be really quite hard with it. The reason for that 
is the plants that flower after June, they flower on this season's growth. And that's the secret. So you can cut it really back and pack it around however you like, really, because it will be flowering on this season's growth. But if you prune in June, anything that's flowered from last year hard, then that will flower on the previous season's growth and it just doesn't work. So you have to prune those ones in late December, January, but it's too cold. Yeah, not what you want to be doing, <laughs> is it, really, that time of year? <laughs> so, but new plants with clematis, the best way to do it is just get one of these, you know, rumbaceous kind of wayward stems and just put it in the ground and peg it down with a bit of coat hanger bent over itself and it will root. Okay. And then you can cut it away from the parent plant in a couple of months and move it along. I didn't know you could do that. Or leave it in situ, wherever you want. Yeah, yeah. it's called layering. You can do it with a few different plants. You see it with brambles mm. all the time, as they arch over, hit the ground, make roots, and then just go off again wherever they feel like. Well, that's what happened with those red currant bushes that I had. Ah, I still haven't planted mine yet. That's right. I've still so. got about four or five in pots as well <laughs> that are from the same batch. I obviously wasn't keeping an eye on my red currant patch, and quite a few branches did do exactly that. Yeah. They fell into the ground and re- it's true actually a, a lot system. of soft fruit you can do that with no surprise actually is it really I, I i think and it's something that i haven't thought of before really is you know that's there's basically a lot of them are brambles aren't they so certainly with raspberries you can do that and taberries and all those other berries including your red currants i suppose they're, mm. they're berries of a type so yes give it a go I'll give it a go i'll definitely try the layering of the clematis though yeah i need to do it as well actually it's a great idea so yeah plants are free your favorite clematis it's gorgeous yeah all over the place yeah now may usually is chelsea month yeah, yeah. but it's not this year no. it's going to be in september mm. how is that affecting what you're going to be planning in your garden well I think it's going to be quite a different flavour and quite a special flavour. So we'll be going for kind of the later summer of flowers, lots of grasses, lots of dahlias, that kind of thing. And it will look like a very long summer kind of that sort of slightly tousled vibe. We're quite fortunate in that the garden that we're doing with Vergay's Burville, who are a local company, it will work very well because actually the, the theme of the garden is Wild Hampshire. So that's what we're thinking about for it. So we've got kind of a very wild late summer meadow kind of vibe going on to the rear of the garden. And then at the front of the garden, their furniture is so beautiful and it's all oak. It's called Rural Refined. So we're thinking kind of late summer apples, fruits. We're thinking about growing a few vegetables. So it's all very abundant and harvesty. It's like, you know, giving you the vibe, I hope, of being in your rural Hampshire garden and just enjoying the fruits of the season. I suppose it will be September is a, is a lovely month for the garden, isn't it? Yeah, So absolutely. to be able to replicate that. Yeah. But definitely a very different way of thinking what you normally would do. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really gorgeous, actually, because it's only going to happen once. You know, mm. it will go back to May, absolutely, definitely. It's the start of the season. They're not going to suddenly decide that they're going to keep it in September, I would doubt. We're still not ordered any plants, just in case. Going to be really honest. When's the latest you could leave that till then? We could leave it pretty much till quite late on, actually. So, But it will involve a lot more work going around nurseries and seeing what's happening. So we're going to choose some key select plants. But I'm super glad we haven't because our stand, it keeps changing size because the RHS have worked so hard in rearranging the whole of the show to make it safe for people. 
So we're not in our original position. The stand has changed slightly, so we're having to redesign. That's what we're doing at the moment. Redesign the garden to make sure that the show is safe for people. If they want to socially distance, I'm sure we might be socially distancing still in some mm. ways at these public events, although I've no idea. And just making it a pleasant, safe environment for people to enjoy. So, yes, it's redraw one more time, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah. word. But, you know, we'll make sure that it's special. And I know everybody else involved in the show, we're desperate to get back to that Royal Hospital showground and enjoy the general public. It'd be a shame not to have it this year, wouldn't it, really? I mean, ha- having not had one last year, it would be a real shame. We haven't had any shows at all. Yeah. So in our industry, we love showing off our work. <laughs> You thought I was yeah. going to say something else, didn't you? <laughs> we like showing off too. <laughs> but we do love showing off our work, and it's and it's gorgeous to get together as an industry because mostly we're very small businesses scattered all over the country. Those times are the times that we can get together and talk shop. And I love talking shop. I could talk about well, I do <laughs> talk about plants most of the day and night and gardens. So it's been a huge loss. But I was very excited because I judge for the RHS at show as well. So I judge the show gardens. And I was very excited to see that they have invited me to judge at Hampton Court and Tatton Park. So I can't judge at Chelsea because I'm exhibiting. But it's very exciting to kind of have them put that in my diary. So the diary is filling up again this year with show events. And I noticed that Malvern has has changed to midsummer. Hampton Court is very much going ahead, fingers crossed. It's so exciting and I just hope those those hopes aren't dashed again. Yeah, not just for that, me yeah. but for everyone. Yeah. Yes, of course, because actually more of them would be about now. Well that's it? been it's rescheduled. The first one. Yeah, yeah, that's been rescheduled. It would be so nice to get together and just celebrate and enjoy gardens. Oh please. <laughs> Let it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be like you said, it could be really special, couldn't it? Really yeah. special this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all of us coming out of our gardens to enjoy more gardens. Yeah, <laughs> but good. it's true, it's the people. Gardens are for people. And one doesn't exist without the other. And we've all been gardening in isolation, really. Enjoying our plants, yes, but they are for sharing, aren't they, as well? And sometimes we can share and sometimes we can't. But we've certainly not been able to, to share and celebrate the best of the best and the showcasing design and, and the new plants and, you know, the wonderful collections that the nursery men and women make, all of the different tools that are on show, the seeds, the rose marquee at Hampton Court... It's just making me feel quite whimsical. Just yeah. I'm going off into a little dreamland. <laughs> I can picture it, though. I just love it. So I'm very excited about show this year. And also, talking of showing off, you have, <laughs> coming up in June, a very important garden opening up at Wisley. Yes, I do. That's not far away. <laughs> Tell us a bit about that. I know it might be a bit too oh, soon to say, blimey. but can you give a little bit of a, a taster? Of yeah, what to no, expect? absolutely. I mean, we've been working as practice on Wisley for four and a half years. It'll be five years in September. We've been working on it as a practice. Yeah, I didn't realise it was that long. Yeah, was it absolutely. supposed to be that long, or was it put uh, back? Because y- of COVID? Well, yeah, I th- no, it wasn't put back because of COVID at all. It's slightly put back because materials and supplies and stocks and labour and all of those sorts of things, and also everybody was delayed. So there was always a time schedule, and the hilltop is a huge RHS Wisley hilltop. It's um, a place where the scientists and all the labs are going to be, and it's an exploration of horticultural science. It's the 
the only building celebrating and actually physically working on science for gardening in the whole of the UK exclusively. It's got an auditorium, it has a cafe, it has loads of workshop spaces. It's huge. Sounded. I mean, it's massive and it's super impressive. And it's on a site where there was an awful lot of concrete and some really decrepit old glass houses and the old work sheds and it was falling to bits so it needed replacing. So the RHS have done something really bold and they've continued to support this investment project all the way through COVID because it is so important to the future of horticulture and gardening in this country. So I massively applaud them for, for that. A lot of the gardens have been value engineered. That means when you take the best bits out, Claire. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Technical terms. Not there. all of the, <laughs> not all of the best bits have been taken out by any means, though. There's still plenty to enjoy. And we've done two and a half acres of gardens, big, around this hilltop's new wonderful resource. Really, there's an acre of wildlife garden. It's not a nature reserve. It is a physical garden so you where you can get inspiration and take home to to really take flight with your own garden when you get home and that's celebrating the huge range of biodiversity in our garden life i'm daydreaming about seeing a, a grass snake just go across some huge watercourses that we've got there and it's it's a range of beautiful plants there's native and non-natives and a quantity of best for pollinated plants which have the rhs stamp on them it's going to be full on colour, can't help myself. <laughs> and it flowers throughout the year, really. There'll be something to look at because that's the most important thing for wildlife, really, is to have something flowering because bees in particular, they're spending so much time alive, actually, and not hibernating through the winter because it's been so mild, certainly in, in winters past. And then there's an earth connecting bund, which is a huge wildlife meadow with a hill that just overlooks our gardens. And also Matt Keatley, who's done the garden to the front of the hilltop, which is about an acre or two. And the bund connects the wildlife garden and it goes through to an acre of world food garden. And that is a place of experimentation and wonder. That is something I'm really excited about seeing. Yeah. Oh, it sounds I, amazing. It is huge. I can't tell you. <laughs> it really <laughs> is. So, and there's a huge central axis with a cross at the centre. And we've taken that sort of key from and cue from traditional vegetable gardens. That's about the only thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a traditional about the garden. Brilliant. So it's split into three zones. The first zone is a flower and herb garden because I always think that people say I'm either a vegetable gardener or a flower gardener. But actually there's going to be tons of flowers that you grow and everybody grows herbs if you're into gardening they're good for the pot so you're probably already an edible grower without even knowing about it so we want to kind of challenge that thought process and and just go go on look you're doing it anyway and then we go into a good to grow sections and that layout has been laid out on the principle of plant cells and they all interlink there are dig and no dig beds we've been really careful about soil health that's super important to to me to Sheila Das who's the head of edibles there and the edibles team at large and those are the the vegetables that are easy to grow you know the ones that if you're just starting out try these because they're going to be successful for you because we don't want to set people up to fail and make it seem very complicated That's we great. want we want to inspire people no matter your experience your horticultural bench your income bracket your age your ethnicity whatever there should be something for everybody there and then in the final section of the garden 
many other little bits and pieces but the final main section is a world food maze and that's that is a really experimental space and Wisley has always been about experimenting with plants and we've taken our cues from from culinary cuisine all over the world and we will continue to learn from chefs about what aren't we growing, what should we be growing, and communities who are coming in, allotmenteers, community garden projects, who are coming in and are educating us, the designers and gardeners of that team. We want to be learning and getting wider with, with our range of edibles and experimenting, and that is the third tier of that garden systems. In brief, there's a lot more I could tell really you. Really exciting. But that's really, a short really tour exciting. about the two and a half acres that's been in my mind. For four and a half years I've been walking those paths, but very soon I'll be able to walk them with you and our listeners. Really, really looking forward to that actually. It yeah. sounds so exciting, you know, to inspire people and to make it accessible. It's exactly what gardening is all about. Yeah, I just want to celebrate it, you know, really. So it's a celebration of wildlife and food. And it's extra pertinent for me this year because that's really those two things that I've really enjoyed growing for, plot to plate and just to enjoy wildlife at home through Covid, really made everyday life so much better. Well, and we hope it has done to you too. Thanks very much for listening to this month's May Growing Together. I certainly feel very inspired, Anne-Marie, by your description of your garden at Wisley. If you'd like to contact us, you can contact us on 01730 or you can email us at team at shineradio.uk. We look forward to talking to you again in June. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Can't wait. I'd, Warm weather. Well, I'd like to sit here in your garden without a coat on. <laughs> It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? It would. Together with Anne-Marie and Claire. New every month and only from Petersfield's Shine Radio. Rise and shine with Petersfield's Shine Radio. Rise and shine. Whatever local information comes in, you'll be the very first to know. You'll feel those ribs expand. And okay, then... I'm doing it, I'm doing Are it. Are you doing it? <laughs> yeah. oh, welcome back to Rise and Shine. You're with Alan Cross this morning. What could be better? Good morning, it's good to be with you. I'm Harrison RB. It's the brighter way to start your day in the Petersphere. As long as you're breathing, you're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so... with you, Vicky. Rise and Shine, weekday mornings from six, with Petersfield's Shine Radio. I think that's lovely.